Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Naturally Educated. This is our season two. My name is Majal Qasmi. I'm a veterinarian as well as having worked in food and agriculture and biodiversity in the UAE. And as always, my trusty co-host, Abdurrahman Zabi. Nice to be with you guys again. I am, of course, an engineer, and I'm interested in nature in general, and uh, happy to host this podcast. He's also a mean tour guide, so we're going to be able to learn quite a bit from him. As always, guys, we'd like you to make sure you are following and getting in touch with us. So if you want to reach out with comments or even with a story to tell, do let us know what you think. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Environment Abu Dhabi, one word. And you can also find us on our website or YouTube at Environment Agency Abu Dhabi. Give us a like and hit subscribe wherever you find and listen to your podcasts. So today's episode is invasive alien species and the threat to our environments. Wait, alien? Okay, we need to put some context here. Please. (laughs) When I mean alien, they're not coming down in flying saucers. (laughs) Alien meaning that they don't belong in the environment or the ecosystem that we're talking about. Mm. So here the term alien means they are from outside of our ecosystem. And yeah, today we're going to have an amazing interview with our guest, Heba Shahi. She's the Director of Biodiversity Department at the Ministry of Climate Change and Environment. Now, I want to talk about this whole idea of alien invasive species. You have to understand that not everything lives everywhere. I mean, everybody knows, right? Of course. When you get in the water or you, you're out in the environment here, there are certain species you'll see. It's not like we have bears walking around here in the desert. <laughs> but I think what's important about today's conversation is that when you do have a species that comes in to the environment that it's not native to or that it's not used to, there are some dynamics that change. Because these ecosystems and the biodiversity in them, i.e. the species that all live and are in harmony, can be thrown out of balance when you have an alien species come in. And we'll probably get into the details of how that works. Absolutely. Abdurrahman, I hope you're ready for our show today. We've got a really cool interview. Let's go straight to the guest. Perfect. Let's do this. So today our guest is Heba Shahi. She's the Director of Biodiversity Department from the Ministry of Climate Change and Environment. So Heba, today we're going to be talking about invasive species. And I wondered if you'd give us a background on pressure on native biodiversity, rapid population growth, and really what urban environments have to do. Why don't you give us a picture about what these invasive species are about? Thank you so much. Uh, And thank you for having me here. Glad. So if we talk about pressures in general when it comes to biodiversity, unfortunately, today's species are 70% of the species worldwide are uh, driven to or threatened by extension. Mm -hmm. And 70% of all of the species in the world are endangered as of today. Unfortunately, this number we have never seen before. And the second, say, most pressing drive for extension of these species after, of course, the destruction of their habitat is invasive species. So it is one of the biggest risks for all species in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think we should start with saying what are invasive species? That's a good place. Yes. And how does species become invasive? 
I was just going to follow up with that question. So what is, when we say the word invasive or an invasive species, what does that mean exactly? So I think it's really important that we understand what that word means. And when we say invasive species, we always first say alien invasive species because the greatest threat comes to any habitat in the world because you introduced a new species that never existed in this uh, place before. And as we all understand, when it comes to nature, it was created with a perfect balance. So species have lived for millions of years in a perfect balance. But some of the species get introduced, and it's really key that we understand how they get introduced. Alien invasive species are always introduced by humans, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Right. So well, through trade or through actually releasing them to a new habitat. And because these species don't usually have a predator in that habitat because they never existed there before. Mm -hmm. And they would have an abundance of food yeah. and without a threat, they start reproducing uncontrollably. So there is no predator to control their population. So if the species, say, it was able to grow and reproduce, it becomes a neutralized species. But if that species starts becoming harmful to the ecosystem it was introduced to, mm -hmm. we call them noxious species. Oh, wow. And then after, yes. Noxious. I'm, yes. I haven't heard that term before. <laughs> and then, you know, after that, there is another also stage <laughs> where that harm is, you could notice it and it has to become a major issue in an area. Then we call them pests. Right. Yeah, I have heard a lot about pests, but there's a lot to unpack there. And I want us to take it step by step. I'm loving the passion already. I already feel like uh, we're in your mm -hmm. office working through this uh, as a team. Um, when we're talking about how these invasive alien species, as you say, get into our environment or our ecosystems here, I wanted you to maybe sort of elaborate a little bit about where you say they're actually brought in by humans. That's understood. But give us an example of what would be when people bring them in on purpose and maybe an example of bringing an alien invasive species that you know, is not on purpose, that was, you know, by some mistake. Then I have some examples of my own, but I, I want you to sort of draw on some <laughs> sure. uh, and see if I've got the right idea. Sure. Let me touch on some of the examples of invasive species in the UAE and how they were brought in. Okay. So when we talk about intentional, some of the species, let's say the squirrels, they were bought as pets mm -hmm. from other countries. They were, oh, okay. they were important to the country as pets. But unfortunately, some of the people thought that because they couldn't take care of that pet, the more responsible way of releasing that pet or releasing themselves from the responsibility is to go to a place where they think that pet could fetch for himself. They sort of release them back to nature. <laughs> yes, but unfortunately that wasn't their nature. But, you know, OK, I'll release it, say, in a park where they can at least eat. So I make sure they don't die. But unfortunately, mm -hmm. what they didn't know is that they are releasing them to a new habitat where they could actually compete with the native species and actually drive these native species to extension. That's interesting. Yes. And that's what you call intentional release. So so this for me, first of all, I need to figure out where these squirrels are. But the, the intentional <sighs> release means that it wasn't the intention to create an invasive species. It was more that without the awareness or education, what they thought was the right thing to do ended up creating the situation where you have this alien invasive species. 
Correct. And we call it intentional introduction. Mm -hmm. So we intentionally introduce the species to a new habitat. Same thing what we do with marine species when we have some fish and we can't take care of them anymore or we have a turtle that we can't take care of anymore mm -hmm. and we release it into a water stream or, or back to the sea. Sure. Where it, to that fish, it's an alien fish to this habitat. So therefore, this is an introduction. Yeah. So if we talk about the unintentional introduction to the environment, I'll also give you an example from the UAE. And this is something you're quite familiar with. Uh, we're talking about the red palm weaver. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so as you know, this weaver has caused quite a lot of negative impact, mm. especially to the farmers, uh, to the people growing palm trees, to the production of dates. And the way it was introduced, it was back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And it was by important, we call it a sick tree, where that insect was already inside of the tree. So what the, what this insect does, as you know, it, it borrows inside of the tree for a while until that tree basically gets really sick and dies. Mm. So it was at that stage when this tree was important. There wasn't at the time way of knowing that this palm tree was infected by the insect. It was brought here in the UAE and it started spreading and the same thing happened for a lot of also the neighbor country. They imported sick trees and it was the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know how it's a major effect and it, it's affecting majorly our economy as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the livelihood for farmers. Yeah, I was, I was just going to point at that. I mean, the UAE globally is at a very unique uh, place, right? The, the country itself is opening up to international trade. The growth in the UAE is kind of taking a very, very fast pace population growth, industries, urban development, and so on. And in such a short period of time, clearly has a lot of pressure on the native biodiversity and so on, right? So I guess, you know, these invasive species that are coming can threaten biodiversity loss, right? Definitely, for sure. But not just biodiversity loss, we also have an economic loss and a health threat as well. Mm. So uh, invasive species don't just threat habitat and biodiversity, but also threat our health, our economy. And it has so many effects across different sectors as well. What health issues are we looking at? Is this just new vectors and new transportation of diseases or are there organisms that we need to be concerned with? Let me give you an example that uh, perhaps all the people in the UAE would be familiar with. Yeah. So back in the 80s, actually in 1986, the Samsung got introduced, <laughs> which is an ant. It's a black ant that it's called the African, mm -hmm. the African black ant. Yeah. And it got introduced by the import of rice oh, wow. from Africa. Mm -hmm. So it's a small insect and you can't really see it. But because it got introduced to the UAE, and now you see it, by the way, everywhere. But back in the 90s and specifically in 1992, we didn't realize that a lot of people will be allergic to the bite of this uh, insect. Right. So, and, and hospitals at the time as well did not know it can cause such an allergy. So we uh, have recorded so many cases that came to the hospital with the allergy. And by the way, it could lead to death. Mm. Oh, wow. That like it's sort of anaphylactic reactions and shock. <laughs> 
Yes, and unfortunately, people were not aware that they could get that because of the insects itself. But we were aware. So people in the hospital were treated, but people that did not get to the hospital in time, it has, I think, caused a few deaths as well in, in Abu Dhabi and Al-Ain at, the, at that time. Mm. And then, of course, awareness was spread very quickly. Okay, we have an introduction of the species and this might cause, you know, allergic reaction to some people. And you need to be aware if you see these signs, you have to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a small insect coming in had that, you know, huge effect on health as well, not just by having it as a vector of diseases as well. So we have other health issues that they can cause. Let's switch gears here and move on into talking more specifically about marine environments. Can you explain to us how the uh, invasive alien species get introduced to local marine environments? So when we talk about marine environment, it, worldwide, most marine invasive species were introduced because of the ballast water. So ballast water, that's what's in ships that keeps them from tipping over. Mm. Yes. So ships, because they need to balance basically in the water, they actually have to take in basically a lot of water from where they're coming from before before the ship starts moving. Mm. And then before it goes to, before coming into another country, they release that water so that ship could, let's say, park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. basically, yeah, to get yeah. the height of the, 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 yeah. Yes. Getting into the marine technicalities here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because this is a huge amount of water, by the way. Mm. And as they are taking in that water, a lot of the species also come into these ships. And if those species were able to survive the trip, mm. when they get released back to the marine environment, they get introduced mm -hmm. basically to a new habitat. So when we talk about introduction of many invasive species to UAE, the UAE marine environment, in this case, in the case of invasive species, we have a very harsh environment when it comes to marine. The temperature is very high. The salinity is very, very high in the Gulf, which causes a shock effect to any species that comes from another habitat. So uh, thankfully, in this case, a lot of these species wouldn't survive in the UAE for all the stages I was discussing, answering the first question. Mm -hmm. So we haven't seen a lot of species that have survived that. However, we are still doing a lot of studies. We are gathering quite a lot of data in order to determine if we do have any invasive species in our marine environment and with that, of course, and how can we control it and what was the pathway of introduction in order basically to uh, combat any further introduction to our environment. I see. So, Hiba, we talk about the globalization and how trade and, 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 you know, shipping, international shipping and ballast water impacts our biodiversity. That makes me wonder, I wonder how climate change specifically impacts biodiversity in this context. So with climate change, you know how devastating climate change to um, biodiversity, it affects biodiversity quite directly. And it's also the other way around. Biodiversity is our only solution, our main solution, let's say, to mitigate the effects of climate change. So we need to protect biodiversity today more than ever, because if we lose that biodiversity, we will not be able to sequester carbon. So it means climate change issue is going to be even bigger. So the problem of drought is going to increase. And we're talking about affecting our livelihood here. So when we say invasive species is competing, say, with another species and creating a huge loss to this ecosystem, this ecosystem, the problem is if we lose it, 
we lose our protector from erosion, our protector from the risk of storms, Mm -hmm. the air we breathe, the, the supply of our food. And if this happens, it creates a chain of effects that will only be worse for the climate. Yep. And the other way around as well. And when we talk about invasive species, because the world is getting hotter, mm-hmm. a lot of these invasive species have the ability to adapt. However, our native species most probably lose that battle because we don't understand their threshold to adapt to a hotter climate, whether their habitat will be lost or not. And that will basically make those species and their habitat lose that battle. But probably the invasive species won't because they have adapted to a hotter environment already. Mm. When we're talking about all of these invasive species that could possibly or that are here in the UAE or in other countries, I wonder how you document, I mean, how many invasive, alien invasive species have we documented? And So what does it take to be able to study that? I mean, is it sort of you see one and you tick a box and you say, we've got it? I I wonder what the studies are like to be able to assess this. So at first we study alien species. And we have recorded many alien species, Mm -hmm. over 245 alien species in the country, out of which uh, 24 are invasive, Mm -hmm. which has basically a huge a negative impact on ecosystems and health and economy. Mm-hmm. But of course, whenever like uh, a species is recorded, mm-hmm. a lot of scientists will come back to us saying, okay, was this a species that was imported or did it occur naturally? So, and we check our records. If someone have imported these species, why did it occur mm-hmm. in this area? And it's, it's, a, it's a sort of... Um, giving us a warning mm-hmm. before that species become uh, or starts reproducing uncontrollably. I see, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then we give it also to our scientists in the country. We give it to volunteers as mm-hmm. well yeah. to start recording whether they see it anywhere else, to see if they have a negative effect in any way possible. We monitor them as well. And then after a while, of course, data and studies conclude whether or not they are invasive species and what are the measures to also uh, combat them. When you when you say occur naturally, this is something like migration or through means of natural transport into the country as opposed to humans importing for one reason or another. Definitely. So we're talking about migration here, mm-hmm. maybe species that were never recorded in the UAE before. And uh, we are seeing them for the first time, but we need to determine mm-hmm. with how they actually mm-hmm. Um, or the means of uh, of entry in this case. Right. Yeah, I've I've had a few phone calls in my career where somebody calls me up and says, "Doctor, I see a X Y Z in the street," and I was like, "Okay, I know that's that's oh, not natural here." And that's I mean, the species that were named are probably not going to migrate themselves over here. They're usually terrestrial, but the idea is somebody's imported them. And, you know, back to that challenge where somebody thinks the right thing to do is to release them in the wild because that's safe. Or sometimes they get out on their own. I mean, there are certain species that are smart enough to open cage doors or or the area where they're being kept doesn't hold them well enough. And then they're out in the environment. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's super interesting. And, and I know there are a lot of citizen scientists uh, in the water. We have the whole scuba and diving community. On the terrestrial, we have the environmental societies and the wadi walkers, and and mm-hmm. everybody does their part. It's nice to give the listeners the scope of what it takes to ensure we have eyes on our environment. 
And I think it's really important to get that message out there mm -hmm. for people as well. You see something out of the mm -hmm. ordinary, do report it. Do not try and capture it. Yeah, Just, that's important. Yes, do take a picture if you could, if it's a public area. Mm -hmm. um, do record it to us as well. Record it to um, uh, scientists in universities, uh, competent authorities as well can help. So um, you are our eyes out mm -hmm. there. So And, and mm -hmm. we do rely on you quite a lot. That's an awesome uh, call to action. So, Hiba, I uh, would like to focus here, as you mentioned, on what the UAE is doing. In general, these uh, protecting the environment from invading species uh, or invasive species uh, requires a lot of effort. And the UAE here has done phenomenally. Uh, you're talking about introducing marine protected areas, joining Ocean Alliance when it comes to the marine side of things, having a national strategy for invasive species. Explain to us what the UAE is doing in, in further detail. So the, the UAE have done quite a lot. It's one of the first countries, and it was recognized one of the 21st countries that actually have studied invasive species and have listed them and opened the da this data internationally. We've worked also on a strategy for all of our competent authorities, our academic sector, even the public, um, our experts to basically bring us all together to achieve a common goal, which is combating invasive species in a way that is more organized. Uh, and the reason why I say more organized is because if, say, I am in my emirate and I am combating cockroaches, for example, mm -hmm. or rats, mm -hmm. for example, and the emirate right next to me is focusing its priority on birds, mm -hmm. these species, they don't know borders. I would work so hard, however, they're going to be reintroduced from a neighboring area. And it's the same element that also the UAE is working on. And it's the same principle that we are working on when it comes to our neighboring country. So we've worked also with Saudi Arabia. We've worked with GCC countries to come up with a unified list of invasive species. Amazing. To come up, yes, with a unified plan for invasive species. So And to come up with priorities for all of us together, because it's really important that we combat them together. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it will be much harder for us to eliminate a species when it can get reintroduced from a neighboring country. Again, these species do not know borders. Yeah. We, not just uh, even our neighboring countries as well. The UAE, because um, the UAE is leading when it comes to the conservation and protection of biodiversity and invasive species, was a huge drive of the loss of biodiversity. So we work with international conventions, we work with organized international organizations, and as well, a lot of international parties in order to combat the effect of invasive species and work together to make sure we basically eliminate that risk when it comes to the loss of biodiversity as well. That's, I'm glad we've got that sort of big picture. Hiba, you're clearly, there's a lot of communication across many different agencies and parties to make sure you have a unified perspective. What is it that the authorities do then when we're talking about the UAE National Invasive Species Strategy and Action Plan? What are the sort of tasks that are on the ground, if you will, that are part of that strategy? So um, when it comes to competent authorities, well, what happens right now, they have a lot of plans and they actually implement a lot of plans when it comes to uh, some of the birds, as well as uh, insects, some PNR programs for cats. We have monitoring programs, early warning programs that we are actually training the people on, 
thing we discussed basically if you see something also uh, reported also a lot of studies that these competent authorities are doing to better understand the pathways the priority pathways that we need to check as well with other entities as well not just in the UAE, but also in the region. I wonder if we can uh, look at it from a global perspective. Can you also maybe share with us an example of an important threatened species program that is kind of effective in that sense? So in the UAE, again, we are leading the biodiversity protection aspect worldwide, not just even in the region. Uh, I think it was uh, mainly because we were left with this legacy from Sheikh Zayed, mm-hmm. uh, the environmental man who... Mm-hmm. He loved species and he made the conservation and protection of uh, species a priority. So we were lucky to be left with this legacy and we had to carry on. And yes, we have, as I have discussed, we call it the blacklist, mm-hmm. the invasive species mm-hmm. list. But we also have the red list, which is the species that are endangered and most need for protection. So the UAE have created a lot of programs nationally and international programs to protect these species. And one of uh, our major programs is our international fund for species that is under the patronage of uh, Sheikh Hamad bin Zayed. We also have the, our international Habara Center, which is the biggest center in the world to protect a species or for one species. This is the biggest center in the world for that as well. We have the Arabian leopard programs. We have the Arabian oryx programs. We have so many programs, turtle rehabilitation programs, sharks, uh, conservation programs. I think if I, I would need <laughs> one more hour to, to discuss, <laughs> yeah, how many programs and how many initiatives, you know, the UAE has to protect biodiversity. And I would like to say how lucky we are that we were also left with, the, with this kind of leadership that has put biodiversity as a priority. And in fact, when I talk about the Red List, we are within the very few countries that actually, maybe at the first sentence I said in this uh, interview, I've said that 70% of all species in the world are going towards extinction. Mm-hmm. We are one of the few countries, when we have done the Red List uh, quite recently, we published it uh, this year, we found out that in a lot of species, we actually protected those species from extinction. So these species, they were extremely endangered and now they are actually out of that level clearly, you know? Yeah. And it's funny, as you as you mentioned, all of these different species, either my family or myself have been involved. Mm. You know, I have a brother who does a lot of free diving, who, who is constantly working with turtles. And I myself have worked on many of these species that we have brought back from. And so on the, the, the red list, there are different stages and we're reversing their trend to become less extinct or less threatened. And it's something really to be very grateful for as you hear around the world, certain species that do become extinct in the wild and are only in captivity or completely extinct for that matter. So Hibba then, obviously, with great leadership, there has been so much done. But how do we continue to sort of take Sheikh Zayed's legacy? And what can we as listeners, us here on the show, do to help? And perhaps what should we not be doing? One of the most important things Mm -hmm that we need to do, and and, and this is a personal belief, I think we need to connect people to nature. Mm -hmm. We need to get our kids out there 
to see the beautiful nature and to get them closer. Let's take our kids diving. Let's take our kids hiking. Let's go to the mangroves area. Let them learn about nature because I am pretty sure that if they do that, kids are going to love nature. And if they do love nature, they're going to protect it. If you love something, you will always protect it. Yes. So if we get kids to love nature, they're going to protect it. And we're going to build a community, an army of people that actually protect the environment. We wouldn't even need laws or anything like that. You will build a community that because of their love of nature, they will protect it. And this is something that we really essentially, I believe that we do need. I have a a little story where I can tie something you mentioned earlier that blew my mind, these African Mm -hmm. black ants, and also this sort of connecting with nature. So in our garden at home, I asked when we moved into this house five years ago that the gardener not use any pesticides, okay? I wanted to make sure we had insect life, which would draw more birds and create a sort of rich garden. And the joke on me was I used to sometimes think, oh, it's funny how people are so fascinated by birds. I'm more of a large animal person. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, the first day I find the green bee eater in my garden, I am like enamored. I'm doing everything to sort of catch pictures and everything because there are bees and I have a natural hive that's always there summer, winter. And so I'm enjoying the bounty of nature that's in my front garden. And at the same time, I have more black ants that I can can deal with. And the gardener is insisting we use the pesticides because there are so many. And I've had the case where a friend of mine is asking if I have ants because he is deathly allergic to it. And so I'm nervous then about us sitting in the garden and he's like, no, as long as I have high socks on, I'm okay. But this sort of juxtaposition of invasives versus what you want to enjoy and take part in essentially in the environment. But this whole conversation today has just got me thinking about the garden, about what I enjoy about it. But I'm literally looking at invasive species every day. And they are, I mean, at least those ants are really difficult to deal with in my own garden but we'll find a way around that please dr my just an advice as well there please do not go around killing invasive species <laughs> please do consult a professional ask the competent authority go. for it in the area you live mm. and then tell them that you have recorded an invasive species mm-hmm. and the effect that you have they will direct you to the correct and right way uh to to deal with them because uh Getting an invasive species is not always the solution here. Yeah. Oh, super. There you go. And we've learned more even now on how to tackle (laughs) on the ground with your own experience. I've had once where I called some professionals and then they dealt very well with a certain spider that I found at home. But this ant thing, I think I'm definitely going to address that way. We hear a lot about asking people to get out in nature and explore our uh, mountains and so on, as, as you mentioned. Although I have a bit of like a natural inclination to push against that a little bit. And the reason I do that is because, you know, awareness is built not only by being somewhere, but being aware of your surroundings. And kind of once you are there, once you take in the information, you also link that to to something serious that's happening. So I guess to push this conversation further, I want to ask you, Hiba, that when people do go to nature and when they do go to hike, how can we help raise awareness about what's going on? How can we raise awareness about the importance of For example, if people go to fish or go to swim in the Gulf, how can we tell them, hey, actually, this is a serious problem and it's affecting our environment? We in the ministry, for example, have created an initiative called 
Natural Wonders of the UAE. And this initiative, it has a, a map with videos of where you could go camping, where you could go fishing, where you could go mm -hmm. uh, diving and, and, and hiking and so on. But it also tells you all the information about this area, where is the nearest protected areas to it and why is it protected and so on. And um, people get to read this information as they're going, what kind of species you're expected to see. And I think if they are going with a guide, it's really important that we get the guides in the UAE to learn more and more about the priorities of the UAE, the species of the UAE, so they can actually send the right messages to people because, they, you know, they are basically our arm out there. And it's really important that we have basically or clarify all the messages that we want um, also uh, also there. I think it's uh, connecting to nature is not just about going around for, as a tourist or going around for fun, but there's a lot of uh, also ways to be connected to nature, go volunteer. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of volunteering opportunities. Mm -hmm. Please do register and get your kids to register and, you know, go volunteer, go release churches, go grow mangroves and plant mangroves, go monitor. There's a lot of monitoring, volunteering programs that we have in the UAE. So uh, I think it's really important, yeah. Those are brilliant, yeah. One option that I, I enjoy personally a lot is environmental tourism and, you know, the experiences that you can do either in Dubai, there's a safari company that takes you in El Marmoum, I think, protected area, mm -hmm. and you can kind of learn and explore the local species there. Or here in Abu Dhabi, you can go and, and camp and live in one of those glamping options. It's, it's still a good option. And there's know? there's plenty across all the Emirates. You keep going north and you can go through Wadi Walks. All of the protected areas or the agencies that are in charge of the environment usually have programs or museums. We have a lot of exhibits, al Wasat wetlands, Al-Wathba wetlands in Abu Dhabi. I think there's a lot of those opportunities. The one thing that's on my mind this whole time, what is Hiba's favorite place <laughs> to connect with nature. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the, the question is really me trying to figure out, are you a marine <laughs> or are you a terrestrial? <laughs> you know, me being a terrestrial kind of guy, but I'm, I'm just going to drop the question there. Sure. I, I think this is okay. This is the hardest question <laughs> I have ever been asked because I, I love nature with all of its aspects. Mm. I am more of an insect person. Oh, cool. So, yes, I like to go to areas where I know that they do have, or oh, that area is rich mm -hmm. when it comes to insects community there. And I think that's more of my element. But uh, I, I am also a diver. Oh, look at that. And I get fascinated as well. But every time I dive with all the species that we see, um, we see around the world, so... Hiba, thank you so much. You've been an absolute star. This has been so informative. For somebody who also has been in the sector and, and understands this, I'm still learning. So more respect to you. Thank you very much for being on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was really fun. Thank you. Thank you, Hiba. So that's Hiba Shahi, Director of Biodiversity Department from the Ministry of Climate Change and Environment. Abdurrahman, why don't you let people know where we can be found? All right, folks. So please get in touch with us, reach out with your comments or even a story to tell. Tell us what you think about the podcast, about the, the, the episode. You can find us, of course, on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all under Environment Abu Dhabi, one word. You can also find us on our website or on our YouTube channel, Environment Agency Abu Dhabi. 
Give us a like and hit the subscribe wherever you find or listen to your podcasts. So from us here at Naturally Educated, thank you guys. I'm Majid. And I'm Abdurrahman. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.